Hi, this is Chava Neidich for the Beth Jacob Atlanta podcast. I am the vice president of the executive board of Beth Jacob. I am also a wife. I am a mother of four wonderful kids. My oldest is 11. My youngest is three. Uh, I am a pediatric occupational therapist and I am a homeschooling mom. I homeschool one of my kids and I've been homeschooling for five years. I also have kids in traditional day school. And so right now with the current coronavirus pandemic and people staying home with their children, um, a lot of the areas of my personal and professional um, interests are converging. And I think that I have something to offer in terms of the conversation about what to do. Um, Things have been totally disrupted and uh, life as we know it has changed. People are trying to find a new normal. We don't know if the new normal is going to be for the next few days, if it's going to be for the next few weeks, what the lasting effects of this are going to be. There's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. So number one, the most important thing, of course, we need to turn to Hashem. Hashem is the one who orchestrated this. We can point to a number of different uh, political, geographical, medical agencies trying to find blame. But the most important thing is to recognize that ultimately, of course, this was orchestrated by Hashem. It comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He is the only one with the real power to stop it. Obviously, we have to do our hishtadlas. I'm alone in my in my house with my kids. None of us are going out. We're not grocery shopping. We're not going out for anything that we don't need. My kids are not playing with anybody else's kids. And um, we are... Uh, definitely feeling the effects of this. But we have to remember this comes from Hashem. We have to turn to Hashem. So whatever we can do in terms of um, connecting to Hashem, however that is for you. For me, um, an increase in connecting to Hashem, especially when the physical demands of my life have increased, that I'm not going to realistically be able to listen to more podcasts or start a new Sefer or, or Chavrusa or something like that. But I can talk to Hashem throughout the day, and I can increase the amount that I talk to Hashem throughout the day, even if it's just once. Ta- taking, I, I um, have kind of developed a practice of taking my emotions, especially the big emotions, whether they're positive or negative emotions, when I'm feeling grateful or joyous or extremely happy, I try to turn that into a, into talking to Hashem, thanking Hashem for that, for whatever it is that the circumstances that brought about that those emotions. And um, also when I'm overwhelmed or really, really tired or feeling frustrated or at my wit's end, I try to take those emotions and turn to Hashem to ask for help. Hashem, these are your children that you gave me to raise. You're entrusting me with them. Please give me the clarity and the patience and the strength to do what's right. I want to do your will. Please help me. And I just say it like that in those words um, or whatever words come to my from my heart at that time. But it's important to use this as an opportunity to turn to Hashem. If you can do it out loud, if you can model that for your children, um, I, I think that there's a there's value in showing them that that's how we relate to Hashem. That Hashem is part of our everyday. It's not relegated to the sitter or to Hillim. Um, our relationship with Hashem is fluid and ongoing and constant. So, I think that that's something that that we all could, in theory, do. We all know that uh, as parents, we are going to make this situation what it is for our children. If we allow our fear um, or our negativity to influence them, the, the overwhelming feeling that I think a lot of parents are having right now, then that will be what they remember of this time. And if we can turn it into something positive, um, if we can try to, or at least mitigate the negativity, 
um, we can make this some, a memorable time for our children. I think it will be memorable either way. The question is how our kids will remember it. So I remember in 1993, there was a blizzard in Atlanta. And um, I don't remember if there was warning or not. I was a kid. What I do remember of that time was just so much fun. I remember running around outside. I remember staying out in the snow till I couldn't stand it anymore, coming in for hot chocolate. I remember um, cuddling up with my family under blankets. I remember uh, a fire in the fireplace and us having these like weird dinners that we had cooked in the fireplace. Um, we did not have, everyone lost power and we did not know when the power was going to come back on. The house was extremely cold. Um, we didn't know how long it was going to last. We did not have a gas stove, so we had to go across the street to, to our neighbor's house to boil water. And um, I'm sure, you know, looking back, my parents had a three-year-old at that time. And I have a three-year-old now. And I look back and I think, wow, my parents, you know, whatever it is, they did not allow their fear or frustration to influence how things felt. I don't think that kids are going to remember the specifics of what happened, the exact circumstances, but they will remember how this time felt. And so as much as we can, um, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to anyone who's listening, because, um, you know, we're on day three, I guess, we were, we were home Shabbos and Sunday, and then today's Wednesday. So you know, already I can see myself getting agitated. I can see myself getting frustrated. There are times when I didn't handle an interaction the way that I would want to. So uh, I certainly am not perfect and I'm not suggesting that any of us um, are perfect. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to anybody else. This situation is going to be what we make of it for our children. And so hopefully we can make it as positive as possible. One thing that I think is really important to know about, and I'm putting on my occupational therapy hat here, is about regulation, dysregulation, and co-regulation. So if those are unfamiliar terms, let me just explain real quick. Regulation is the ability to respond in an appropriate and flexible way to ongoing demands. So whatever it is that we need to do in our lives, being able to respond in an appropriate and flexible way. That means sometimes changing our energy level. So we're gonna look very different if we're on a conference call on Zoom than we will if we're playing tag with our kids in the yard. But our ability to adapt flexibly to the demands. An example of dysregulation is if you think of a toddler having a meltdown. That is a perfect example of dysregulation when there is no flexibility, there is no rationalizing, the child cannot respond appropriately to the demands of the environment, whatever it is they're just totally falling apart. Adults can experience dysregulation too. Hopefully it doesn't look the same as it would in a toddler, but we all can relate to that feeling of just inner chaos. And that's what dysregulation looks like. Um, so the reason that I bring this up is because for children to be regulated, they depend very heavily on their caregivers, in this case, the parents, to be regulated as well. And that interplay between the parent's regulation and the child's regulation is called co-regulation. Children really depend on parents in order to stay regulated, especially the children who have trouble staying regulated in the first place. The irony, I call it a cruel irony of parenting and maybe one of the most humbling um, to me experiences in parenting is that when when I'm dysregulated, and, and I think this is true across the board of all parents, when a parent is dysregulated and they just 
need the space to try to regulate themselves. They need to, to calm themselves down. They need, um, whether it's physically or emotionally, that's when their children, that's when our children, certainly my children, cling the most. They try to get our attention the most. They try to connect with us the most. They try to, they, they might climb on us, touch us, um, which can dysregulate us further. But what they're trying to get is that they're trying to co-regulate. They're trying to, to connect with us so that they can get regulated because they see that we're dysregulated. What that means for us is that we need to be in touch as parents with our own regulation. And I think at this point, probably most of us know ourselves pretty well and can, if you think about it, identify the things that work for you. These are going to be different for different people. So, um, for example, I can handle, oh, before I get into specifics, um, what I should say is that regulation and dysregulation can be impacted both by the physical circumstances and demands and the emotional circumstances and demands. So let's talk about the physical demands for a second. Um, What I was going to say is that I can handle a lot of noise, but when I'm overwhelmed or I'm getting increasingly frustrated about something, at that point, my ability to tolerate noise starts to wane and the noise will really, really irritate me. But at home with my kids, um, I don't necessarily have a quiet place to be. And so one of the things I've learned for myself is um, I I bought a giant um, jar of earplugs and I use those. I can still hear the kids, but it takes the edge off for me. That can be regulating when I need it. I don't always need them, but when I do need them, that's something that I know about myself, that that I probably need quiet to get myself back regulated. That could be exactly the opposite from another parent, maybe one of you who's listening. For you, the thing that you need is music. Or maybe being in the noise, being quiet might dysregulate you and being among uh, in a noisy environment might be more regulating. So each of us has a different thing. We need to be aware of our own sources of regulation. So For example, things like personal hygiene, making sure that we've taken care of our own grooming in the morning so that we feel ready to attack, to attack, (laughs) to approach, to approach the day, Um, making sure that, you know, it could be taking a break in the middle of the day to just go wash our face again. Um, If that's regulating for you, be aware of it and have that as part of your tools for self-regulation. Um, for some people, it might mean getting dressed in the clothes that you would normally wear to work. For some people, it might mean casual wear. Um, then there are other things aside from what you're wearing, and like, for example, making sure that you actually ate breakfast, uh, making sure that the food that you're eating is nourishing for you and not food that's going to make you feel lethargic or, or um, sick in any way. Um, making sure that you stay hydrated. Uh, trying to be well-rested. Um, hydration is something that I'm really good at. I, I tend to keep a big thing of water with me, so I'm good at that. But sometimes I just can't get enough rest, and that's just part of my reality. But but I'm not saying that we have to achieve perfection and be um, perfectly healthy and do all the things that we need that we think we need to do. What I'm talking about is recognizing which things influence how you feel. And then using what you know about yourself as a tool to help you get regulated when you need it. Then as we're aware of them, recognizing the importance. You know, sometimes parents are tempted to put our needs aside because we think that our children's needs are more pressing. And what I'm trying to say here is that 
Um, sometimes that is the case. If somebody is uh, bleeding and needs your attention immediately, don't say, well, hold on a second, I'm going to go brush my teeth. That is not what I'm suggesting. But I am suggesting that taking care of yourself at this time is absolutely critical because your children are depending on you to be regulated so that they can be regulated. Okay, great. Uh, But there are times Certainly in my life, I can say this from from many, many different experiences where I cannot do the things that I need to get regulated, whether it's the duration of the break that I needed, um, it, it wasn't long enough, or the frequency. Maybe I can't do the thing as often as I need to, you know, getting the breaks or eating as frequently as I need to or going to exercise as frequently as I need to, and I just can't. Sometimes that is the situation. That's just a reality of being a parent. So what then? Do we just give up? Do we just say, well, I'm dysregulated, too bad, deal with it? Um, Spoiler alert, I'm going to say, no, there are some practical tips that we can use. Um, These are my own practical tips that I uh, try to use, again, This podcast is as much a reminder for myself about the things that I need to be doing and prioritizing as much as it is for anybody else, maybe more so for myself. So you're listening in on my private thoughts, but um, this does not mean that I always that I always manage to implement these tools. Okay, so let's say that you're dysregulated and you cannot meet the needs of of what you need to do. Here are some practical tips I have figured out. and this comes from the concept that we have a concept in Judaism of hachitzonios me'oreres hapnimios, right? That when we do something external, that can actually awaken us internally to that, that emotion or that connection. And so, very practically, smiling at our children. This is something that does not take a lot of effort and it does not take a lot of time, but it's extremely impactful. To stop and remember, and somehow this, is, this can be elusive. When we're overwhelmed, our, our breath, our body, our facial expression and affect, all of that changes and shows the stress and the children pick up on that. If we can remind ourselves to stop and smile at our children, make eye contact and smile, it can just bridge a connection that maybe would have been breached there or dysregulated the child, reminding the child that you're happy that they're there um, or you're happy with them. Another quick thing, saying thank you trying to look for the positive in what our children are doing. And sometimes this is harder than other times when they're, when they're not acting the way that we wish they would. This can be a lot harder, but thanking them. I've had many opportunities over the last couple of days to thank my children for their patience and flexibility. First of all, it makes me feel a sense of gratitude when I say thank you, but also for my children, it let, allows them to know that I see what they're doing. I see their effort and they feel validated and they feel like, I was able to acknowledge them in a, in a special way. So saying thank you, that goes for our spouses as well. We're all in this together. All of us are trying our hardest and saying thank you can go a very long way. Um, one of my friends told me when I first started homeschooling that there is tremendous power in laughing together. So sometimes we get so worked up in the things that we're trying to achieve, um, especially right now, um, and I'll, uh, you know, our habits and routines have been disrupted, which is a whole other topic, but it could be a funny story, something that I did, something that I saw, um, you know, uh, I have young kids, sometimes a good pun um, can just, uh, or a comic or something like that can just break the monotony and 
laughing together is such a great way to instantly connect. And so that's just, if you can find it in yourself, um, especially I'm talking, you know, what I'm talking about is not parents who are already calm and regulated and connected with their kids. I'm talking about when you're not feeling connected, when you're just, you're overwhelmed and you're stressed out, smiling at your kids, saying thank you, um, having a laugh with them, those are practical things that we can do to try to build that connection without so much effort and without having to regulate ourselves first because sometimes that can be very hard. What I want to say though is that trying to do all these things at once then becomes overwhelming again. So I'm not suggesting that we do all these things. I'm saying pick the thing that speaks to you that you think will be easiest for you and try to implement that and see if it works. This is a toolbox. You know, you don't have to use all the tools at once. Choose one, try it. If it works for you, and it works for your kids, use it. And if not, you can disregard it or put it away for another day. Another couple of quick tips. One is that um, I have some friends uh, in the community that whenever I see them, they just have such a lovely way of interacting with their kids. They, um, They connect, they like validate their kids. They always speak in a kind tone. And I'm, you know, I, I don't delude myself into thinking that anyone is perfect, but I try to channel them. When I think of how I want to behave in a certain situation where it's hard for me to behave the way I know I should, um, sometimes I might try to pretend to be someone else. Think about how so-and-so would behave with her children and try to basically imitate that and copy that so it doesn't have to come from me necessarily. I'm kind of just faking it, but fake it till you make it is also okay. And we're just talking about tools to tide us over till we get there authentically. Obviously, authentic authenticity, um, being genuine, these are the the goal. But sometimes we just can't get there, and I'm just recognizing that reality. Another tip that um, I sometimes do, this one is a little bit harder and it takes a little bit more investment of time and effort, but um, there are many cases, I think, in parenting where we're going to have to invest time and effort on one end or the other. So it might be the end of making the request or demand of our children. If we put the time and effort in there, hopefully we'll have less time and effort put in on the um, side that comes later, which is the follow-up. Or if we don't want to put the time and effort in on the front end, we might end up having to put it in on the back end, on the follow-up. So for example, um, this is a tip that I, I learned from a teacher. One of the things that she said was, um, I'm not talking about yelling at your children. I'm talking about just speaking in a loud voice across the room, which is very tempting, especially when you're handling a lot of things at once. Maybe you're in the kitchen and your children are in another room and you're trying to to um, make yourself heard without stopping what you're doing to go. But there's a lot of value in going over to your child, physically walking over to that space. And um, if, they're, if they're young children getting on eye level, crouching or being on your knees, and saying in a, in a gentle voice, um, let's go, uh, I'm just thinking of an example, let's, um, it looks like you're done with the Play-Doh, let's go clean that up. Um, as, a, as, a, as an OT, I would say I would approach kind of from the side rather than directly face-to-face because I think directly face-to-face can be perceived as confrontational. So kind of approach from the side, get down, join them in their world and whatever it is that they're doing and say, hey, I noticed the Play-Doh is still on the table. Let's go clean that up. And that feels very different to a child than kind of shouting across it, hey, someone please come clean up the Play-Doh. Um, it just has a different feel to it. So again, it is more of an investment, but it's a practical, concrete way that we can try to connect with our children.
And let's say you're not up to that and you are someone who yells at your kids. One of the concrete things that, that we can do, I remember when I was 12 years old and I, I was doing my first, um, my first fast on Yom Kippur, and I thought to myself, this is like very concrete thinking, um, you know, how hard, is, how hard is it not to eat on Yom Kippur? I'm just not going to put food or drink in my mouth. Very concrete, right? I'm just not going to do this thing. So um, I think about that sometimes, you know, in terms of raising a voice, saying, okay, I'm, today, I, today I'm deciding I'm not going to raise my voice above a level of talking. I'm just not going to do it. And um, that might be, for some people, a concrete way um, again, to, to connect with our children when we're not feeling, when we're just not feeling it. So again, take of this, whatever works for you, whatever appeals to you. If it was just one thing, great. You know, if, if it's none of these things, but any of these things prompted you to think of something that would work for you or would work for your child, um, great. And I would certainly be interested to hear about them because I'm always open to learning. Um, it's important during this time to have an increase in patience and flexibility, and yes, of course, I mean patience and flexibility with our children, but even more so patience and flexibility with ourselves. We are all going through something that's difficult and unprecedented, and it's going to take us time to adjust. Uh, um, in occupational therapy, there is a heavy focus on the importance of habits and routines. And the reason is because habits and routines are automatic. And if you can establish healthy habits and healthy routines, then you can save your energy and focus for the novel tasks or the more difficult tasks that you have to do. So there are things in our lives that all of us had before that were automatic. Um, maybe they weren't necessarily easy, but let's say, for example, we all kind of had our routine, whether it worked for us or not, uh, it could be a whole other discussion, but we all, if we were sending our kids to traditional school, we had our routine of preparing their lunches, um, how, however it was that our children got dressed in the morning, got ready for school, what they ate for breakfast, what time they left. Um, all of that was kind of automatic, and then we went on with the rest of our day. All of that has been disrupted. How it was that people went to work before has been disrupted. A lot of us are learning new platforms. I know for myself, I have spent Tuesday and Wednesday trying to figure out the platforms for my kids who are in traditional school for them to access their schoolwork. I have missed things, um, some of it because it wasn't posted in the same place that I thought it was going to be or it wasn't posted at all or it wasn't accessible. Some of it I needed a code for. Um, you know, once I figured it out, I wasn't sure if I could submit it online or if I could submit it, um, if I needed to take a picture and send it to the teacher. Um, and I still am in the process of figuring all that stuff out. But what that means is that all these things that were once automatic, our children knew how to fill in the worksheets and turn them in. Our children knew how to use the manipulatives in their classroom. All of those background things that enabled the learning, all of that was automatic before. Now we need to shift our focus onto the actual accessing the material, which means there might be less energy left for the learning tasks and the assignments themselves. There really is no other way that it could be. It isn't, don't delude yourself into thinking that it's easier in someone else's house. Someone else might have figured out the platform I'm struggling with, but they might be struggling with a different platform. And if they're not struggling with that, they're definitely struggling with something else. Not to take comfort in someone else's struggles, but also the most important piece is not to compare ourselves with 
a um, standard that we think is taking place somewhere else or an unrealistic standard. The expectation has to be that we are going to need patience and flexibility, that things are going to take longer than we thought they were going to take, and that our energy is going to go into things that were previously automatic. And therefore, we're not going to have as much energy for the things that we think we ought to do. So speaking of things we think we ought to do, let's talk about schedules for a second. Um, As soon as people found out that their kids were going to be home with them, I saw a flurry of schedules. So I'll just share my personal experience. When I started homeschooling, um, this is going back five years, I had um, a first grader and I had a, um, I guess, four-year-old and a one-year-old at the time. And um, it kind of came about unexpectedly. I wasn't, I hadn't been, I hadn't had a lot of time to prepare. And I took the precious time that I had and I used it to, spe- to, to find a visual schedule. A visual schedule is one of those schedules that, um, that you see often in a classroom and they're very useful in a classroom. Um, they have a picture of the task and underneath usually is written the word. So it would be like reading time, circle time, math, Uh, science, computers, or whatever it is in in an older kid's, maybe snack time, cleanup time, uh, things like that. Okay, so I spent my time finding a great visual schedule and preparing it. Then I oriented my kids to the schedule, and I thought that I would um, use this. The reason, looking back, the reason that I did this, I think, was because I felt like my life was going to be chaos otherwise. I needed to have some semblance of structure in order for me and for my children to be able to function. But on a practical level, what ended up happening was trying to stick to that schedule was a source of conflict and was a source of tremendous stress. And it wasn't even the rigidity of the timeframes that I thought I was going to be able to follow. Um, It was just even the flow of activities from one to the other didn't really work. It just didn't work for my family. It felt very forced. And that's because it was. But that was my attempt to try to give structure to what otherwise felt like a free fall, which is a very uncomfortable feeling for me. I'm somebody who likes planning, who likes uh, structure, who likes to be organized, and it felt very disorganized and very chaotic to me. What I had to learn the hard way through trial and error, and by error, like I'd like to underline that a couple of times and highlight it, um, a lot of error. <laughs> Um, What I discovered was that I really needed to learn what worked for me and what worked for my family. Too much flexibility was not good. Um, It ended up with everybody kind of not knowing what to do. That was very hard. But having too much structure was not good also. So I kind of needed to learn to tune into the rhythms of my family and see how things worked on a practical level. My kids were very early risers. so There was certainly no sleeping in. Um, But what the order of the day would be, if my kids wanted to... um, play for a while in their pajamas before we started our day, um, that worked really well. Why did I need to force them to go ahead and get dressed just because that was the first thing on the schedule? So those were things that I needed to learn for myself. And um, everybody needs to be, I think, attuned to what's going to work for them uh, in their family. All of each family is facing their own unique demands. um, And so we all need to kind of figure out what's going to work for us Uh, individually, and as a family unit. I think that as 
I I think and I hope that as the um, platforms for my kids who are in day school, as I figure out how to use Google Classroom and Parent Locker to access their lessons and to submit their lessons and to see the videos that have been posted, as that becomes more automatic, I'll have a little bit more energy to put into other things. But right now, all my energy is going into that. And therefore, I'm having a hard time even finding um, finding the rhythm of my own family. The reason that I'm sharing that is because I'm an experienced homeschool mom. I was already staying home with my kid and doing lessons all day. I already had a great rhythm going and I kind of, kind of, sort of knew what I was doing. And this whole everybody being home has completely disrupted that. Figuring out these different platforms has completely disrupted that. And therefore, I can't even really figure out what our daily schedule is going to be. The goal here is just to stay calm and try to meet whatever demands I think are the priorities. So I need to know for myself what the priorities are. Um, Yesterday, I had a pretty short list of things that I wanted to do and that I wanted my children to do. Again, I have a lot of experience in this area and I thought that that list was realistic, that those were realistic expectations, certainly manageable goals. And it turns out I was wrong. They were not realistic. The tasks, getting things set up, Um, took a lot longer than I thought they were going to take. Turns out I have a kid with fever and a cough and runny nose, um, which at this time it it was scary to me and the child needed a lot of extra TLC. Um, And so that, that became my priority and I needed to be clear about that. Other things that normally would be priorities for me had to go by the wayside. That was my experience. I imagine that that was the experience of a lot of parents. Um, And so it's really important for us to be able, and I had to remind myself at the end of the day, to let those things go. I I should not stay up extra late to bake that thing that I thought I was going to bake with the apples that are getting soft. Wait till tomorrow. You know, I need to focus on my family right now. That has to be my priority. We don't have time um, or energy for extra burdens. Um... One of the things that I'm seeing is people who think that now that they're home, they're going to get a lot of extra stuff done or take on a new task. If that's something that energizes you, like you want to learn a new language through Rosetta Stone or, or, or um, Duolingo or something like that, or you want to learn how to crochet for the first time, um, or you think you're going to do a deep cleaning of your whole house and, and organize all your stuff and get every drawer and bin organized, if that's something that energizes you, that you really benefit from and you come back, going back to regulation, you come back to your family feeling more regulated because of it, then do that. But if it's something that, that zaps you of energy, then maybe now is not the time. Um, maybe now is not the time for that. Anything that is going to burden you um, or take extra energy, now is not the time for those things. Right now, our focus really has to be inward on keeping ourselves calm and regulated and on our family and keeping our family calm and regulated. All right, so let's say that you're home with little kids. What are some realistic expectations of what should be going on at home? Um, I think that online, if you if you Google, you can find lots and lots of activities. Um, if your kid was in preschool, a lot or any extracurriculars, um, the music class and ballet and gymnastics and whatever it was, all those things I, I, I'm hearing, um, people are sending out different activities and coloring sheets and ideas for kids. So I don't want to focus heavily on what those things specifically should be. What I want to say is extra chizuk to parents of young children. Toddlers really, um, for the most part, unless you have a a unique one, I mean, they're all unique. I don't mean to say that your child isn't unique. Um, Most toddlers don't really know how to entertain themselves. And so if your oldest one is a toddler, 
you really are, for the most part, their entertainment. You are showing them how to do the activities. You're the one who's interacting with them. And that's really hard. So um, just I want to acknowledge that that's your reality and Hashem should help you. (laughs) You should ask Hashem for help and you should set your expectation pretty low. All the other things that used to be priority aren't necessarily going to be unless you can include your child in those activities help that you know have them help you load the um, washing machine or the dishwasher if if your dishes won't break from that um have them help you fold the towels you know or whatever it is that you can but recognize that i i use the term help very loosely it's gonna take longer things that were clean might get dirty um this is just part of the reality so that's that's something just to set your expectation that things are going to take um, a, a much longer time and um, that you're going to be expected to really entertain your own child. One thing that um, I think would be important for parents of young children to know is that it's important to alternate tasks. So a tabletop or floor time task like playing Zingo, like stickers, like Play-Doh, like Legos, um, any of those things are going to last for, you know, or chalk outside or whatever. Those things are going to last for a set amount of time. Each child has a different attention span. And honestly, you know your child best. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, but they're going to need to be alternated with big, gross motor activities. Running around, um, going on a bear hunt, um, hitting balloons in the air, kicking a ball outside, riding a bike, going on a scooter... Um, maybe going for a walk, the things, the, the different kinds of offerings that you're, that you're giving your child are going to need to be alternated. Otherwise, it's not really going to be successful. It's hard to keep a toddler entertained at a tabletop all day. Um, so that's, if that helps, great, just to set the expectations uh, in a realistic way. So even if you stocked up on crafts from the dollar store before this whole thing happened, um, it's going to be important to also offer gross motor activities. For big kids, um, there's a lot of variation here. Some kids are being expected to keep up with schoolwork. Some kids are being expected to kind of maintain their own entertainment. Um, this is a hard time for everybody. So acknowledging for your older kids that we're all in this together, that we're in this as a team. And if you're genuinely feeling it, saying to them directly that if I have to be stuck at home with anybody, I am grateful to be stuck at home with you. And if you cannot bring yourself to say that, at least don't express in front of them that you how frustrated you are at being stuck at home with them. You don't want them to feel in any way inadequate as a child. They're, they're also doing the best that they can. So, and if you have don't no hard feelings, um, just try to be aware of it moving forward. Um, I would say that for older kids, whatever it is that the expectations are, including them as part of the conversation about how you're going to approach it would be helpful both for them knowing and feeling like they're part of the team and also for their buy-in. And trialability can really help here. So I'm talking about two things. Number one, saying to your child directly, this is the circumstance. These are the, you know, these are the things that we're trying to get from your teachers. Um, these are the things that maybe, you know, that you can do in your free time because schoolwork isn't, hopefully isn't going to take all day. You want to do these different crafts. You want to do these different projects. Um, what do you think is a realistic, you know, what do you think would be a realistic list of things that you could do in a day? And maybe, hopefully the child can be insightful about and, and realistic 
maybe it won't be realistic, um, but including them as part of the conversation, I think, for older kids is really important. And then coming back to them at the end of the day or at the end of a couple of days and saying to them, um, how do you think things are going? Have, you know, have them share their insights, have them reflect, and um, you can share your reflections. I think things went really well. You were, you were very flexible. That, or I think things seemed really frustrating and overwhelming. What do you think we can do to reduce the burden? Um, trialability is another thing that I, it, it's a term that I love and it's a concept that I love. And that is letting someone know that we're going to try something out and neither of us is confident that it's going to work, but we're willing to invest in really giving it a try and then we'll revisit and see how how we each think things are going. And we can change things. It's subject to change. They kind of go hand in hand. They're not exactly the same thing. Again, take whatever from this is helpful and disregard whatever it is that you don't think is going to work for you. The most important thing to remember is that they need you. They need you as a parent. You are the one who sets the tone for them. Um, you are the one who they are watching. They are going to learn from seeing how you behave how they should behave um, when they are faced with adversity. And so the most important thing that we can do is be aware of our own regulation, our own modeling. Um, the way that we talk to them is probably how they're going to turn around and talk to siblings if they have siblings. Um, but So the most important thing that we can do is not the schoolwork. Um, it really is modeling for our children. They're going to learn so much during this time and hopefully... Um, most of it will be good. If it hasn't been, let's say that we have said something hurtful. Let's say that we have yelled at our kids. Um, let's say that we have gotten just so agitated that we just couldn't engage anymore. Going back and saying sorry has tremendous power. And that is also a very valuable model. So hope is not lost. There is still, uh, if, that, if that is the case, we can always go back and talk about it openly with them directly and say, you know, I really lost it. I was feeling so overwhelmed, but you didn't deserve to be yelled at and I'm sorry. Uh, that's that's a tremendous learning opportunity for our children. Um, I think as much as we can do to avoid confrontation with our children. So this is a practical tip that I've learned to kind of avoid confrontation. Everybody complain. Everybody mm, not complains. Parents don't like it. Let's say it that way. Parents don't like it when children say, "I'm bored. What should I do? There's nothing to do." So that can be a tremendous source of conflict, especially when a parent is feeling overwhelmed and it's clear that there are hundreds of things that need to be done or that could be done and you have filled the house with toys and books and things for their entertainment and they're complaining that there's nothing. So um, one of the things that I do to just kind of avoid that scenario altogether is I use uh, kind of visual prompts. So um, back when I started homeschooling and, and for many years after that, I lived in a very small space with a lot of people and there wasn't a separate room or a separate table that wasn't being used. Every surface and every space and every room was being used or overused. And I didn't have like space, like a dining room table that wasn't being used or something like that. So I understand if your space isn't big, this is what I used to do. I would clear, clear off the floor or clear off the table and on it, I would put a couple of things. You don't want to overdo it because overdoing it can uh, overload us visually and then we can't even pick out what there is to do. But I would clear off the floor and put a box of magnet tiles and a box of cars in a clear space. And what would happen inevitably was that my children would walk by and see it and just kind of be drawn to it and engage with it. And we totally bypassed the... Um, 
I'm bored. What should I do? Do you want to play with magnet tiles? No. Do you want to play with cars? No. And then it becomes a conflict between yourself and the child where we could have avoided it by just kind of putting the thing out there. As my kids got older, sometimes I did that with books that I wanted them to read right now. Um, I have a bunch of um, illustrated or graphic novel type Haggadahs that I cleared off a surface and I kind of just keep leaving those out. And um, my kids kind of, as they're passing by, get drawn to those. I know my own kids, you know your own kids. So I know that this is something that I can use to engage them without um, directly trying to engage them or having a confrontation with them. The most encouraging thing I have to say is that first of all, we may be facing a new reality, but this current reality of having all of our habits and routines disrupted, this is not going to be the reality forever. We're going to fall into new habits and routines. Things are going to become easier for us. Times are going to change and hopefully we'll go back to the way things used to be. Um, but the, like anything else, the more you practice and the more you implement tools at your disposal, the easier and more automatic those things will become. So let's say one example that I talked about was uh, smiling at your children. The more you engage, let's and let's say that's the only thing that you liked out of this podcast. I happen to like that a lot because it's very concrete and it's very easy. Um, so the more that you make eye contact and smile at your children, the more automatic that habit is going to become, the more, I guess, habitual it's going to become. And therefore, um, at some point, it's going to not require your thought and attention, and it will just be something that's part of your relationship. So to review, um, the things that we talked about were being clear about our priorities as parents and our responsibility to make to set the tone for what this situation is going to be. I talked about regulation and dysregulation and co-regulation and the importance of parents taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of our children. I talked about... Um, what to do if we can't genuinely get to a place where we're actually feeling calm and regulated, that we can try to um, fake it till we make it, and some practical tips and tools for doing that. Um, having realistic expectations for ourselves, recognizing that things are just going to take a lot longer, that our habits and routines have been disrupted, and that we really, really need to exercise patience um, with our children, of course, but primarily with ourselves, and that our children are going to learn from our model about how to deal with adversity. The most important thing to remember is that Hashem is the one who orchestrated all of the circumstances and all of the details in our lives. And we need to use this time to increase our connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to ask for rachamim for the entire world, for mercy for the entire world, and to ask Hashem to help us raise our children and to help us connect with Him. Um, I would be very interested to hear if you have questions or if you have feedback on this podcast, you can reach me at Chava, C-H-A-V-A, at sensationalot.com. And as always, you can reach our rabbinic staff um, at any point. Uh, they are working around the clock to try to support this community, and I feel very honored to be part of the team.